Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. Coming to you from Joy's Victorian Pride Centre studios on Boonwarren Country, I'm your host, Michael Whelan, joined this week with Rachel Cook on the line. Rachel, welcome back. It's been a, it's been a double episode for you and I. I know. Here we are again. Here we are again. We have been discussing both last week and this week things happening over the Midsummer Pride Festival Last week, of course, we were talking about the both the Gay Men's Periodic Survey and the Women's Survey happening at Carnival and continuing to happen for a couple of weeks here, both online and in some of our venues. As well, we were fortunate enough to talk to the gang from The Rainbow Tree. And also we'll be talking about Wise Words, which is an evening of intergenerational storytelling, which features an amazing lineup of um, some of our most prominent and talented LGBTIQ plus writers, performers and activists. And they're talking about their experiences of what it is to be a queer woman. Of course, it is trans and non-binary inclusive. And we'll be speaking with Amy Middleton, who is part of the lineup and who many of you will know from uh, being the publisher and founder of the Brilliant Archer magazine. So stick around. That's all coming up. You're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. Amy Middleton is founder and publisher of Archer Magazine, and Amy is also a writer and journalist who has written and edited for Australian Geographic, The Guardian, Rolling Stone, The Age, The Big Issue, Mianjin, The Lift of Brow, and many more. She is a former radio producer for 3CR Community Radio and our very own Joy. In 2015, she was nominated for Young Australian of the Year, and in 2016, she was named among Melbourne Writers Festival's 30 Under 30. And in her spare time, she plays AFL football and collects interesting editions of Alice in Wonderland. This is such an eclectic and amazing bio, Amy. Um, but Amy, for our sake, we're very happy about Amy is part of the lineup for our midsummer event, Wise Words, an evening of intergenerational storytelling, which features a lineup of some of Australia's most prominent and talented LGBTIQ writers, performers and activists talking about their experiences of what it is to be a queer woman. And of course, it is trans and non-binary inclusive. Amy, first of all, let's talk about you and your writing. What was it that led you to writing? Um, it goes back a long way, probably before I can remember. Um, I guess I did a lot of imaginative play as a kid, as most kids do. And at some point, um, I, I guess once we had a computer in the house, I started tapping away on the keyboard and transferring my games with my toys into pretty absurd stories, actually. <laughs> like, there was this series of, um, 
I guess you'd call them novellas that was like basically these this community of lizards and they all had names and personalities and it was just about their interpersonal drama. <laughs> so that was back when I was about eight or nine. So I've just sort of been compulsively writing ever since. Do you remember any of the names of the, the lizards? Did they have especially interesting names and backstories? <laughs> yeah, they have such ridiculous names. And this is like one of the rare times that I'll say I'm too embarrassed to disclose. <laughs> but they, <laughs> they were just like lists of consonants and vowels strung together <laughs> that are just too embarrassing. You've just... You found my little weak spot. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'll, <laughs> off air, I'll, I'll try and um, work work and weasel those out of you. Do you um, so that was kind of your first foray into writing, maybe kind of the first thing you put, um, you know, finger to keyboard or, or pen to paper, as it were. How did the the act of kind of exploring writing initially make you feel? Um, it was a, I think it was emotional processing, to be honest. Um, it felt really... Without wanting to be too cliche, it was like relieving and maybe a bit healing. I think I just explored my emotional inner world by externalizing it onto into stories. Um, but there was also a journalistic aspect. I used to run this newspaper for my toys. God, this is embarrassing. Um, <laughs> it was called the Moo Paper Weekly and it was um, just like the current affairs of the toy community. So it was like a free Archer magazine, I guess. It was a little newsletter. That is so gorgeous, the Move Paper Weekly. How old were you when you, when you were doing this? I think I was about 12 because I remember there was this ongoing campaign to try and convince my parents to let me get a pet ferret. And so I would stick the newspapers around the house and try the campaign, just like a little activist, but... Just so like, with the, with the stories in the well. paper, like, um, uh, you know, top 10 reasons you should own a ferret and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, it was like, how are we <laughs> going to make this happen? Let's let's collectivise. <laughs> <laughs> and now that's obviously your very formative writing journalistic era blossoming there. When did Archer magazine start and what was the, what was the driving force behind getting that off the ground? Um, yeah, so I worked in a bunch of different magazines after uni. I studied creative writing and communications and um, I went on to work in a string of publications starting with, I think my first was the Bulletin magazine, which is like a news and current affairs mag that's now defunct. Um, and then just hopped around to different mags and I ended up um, at Caravan World, Australia's premier caravanning magazine which was um, a well-paid gig, but not all that stimulating for me in terms of my interests. In fact, at one point I pitched a story about swingers and they rejected it and I was like, I've got to get out of here, man. <laughs> I believe that um, there, would be, there would be a nice uh, Venn diagram intersection of people who like caravanning and, and the swingers community. I just feel like those things are intrinsically linked. Right. I'm glad that you see that too. I yeah. saw that link and was like, this is going to make it interesting. I just, and I guess that reminded me to think about what I'd actually like to be writing about. And it was at the time and still is sexuality and gender, um, which I've always had kind of a interesting relationship with because I'm queer. And back then there wasn't a lot of media about us. Um, so I sort of hunted around for my next steps and couldn't find anything that was inclusive enough to. Well, I guess where I felt like I fit in. So I just, um, I guess I just jumped on the grenade and started one. 
Yeah, and that was crazy. Twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. When did Archer first launch? Yeah, we we actually turned ten this year, so it wow. must have been. Yeah, it was. What year are we in? Yeah, twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. So you launched twenty thirteen. Yeah, December twenty thirteen. We launched. Yeah. Amy, Archer has given a voice to so many queer writers and activists. What does a platform like that do? You know, how important is it? Um, I guess for this question, I should speak to the feedback we get because um, it's kind of hard to know what the impact is when you're sitting in the middle of it. Um, we get lots of emails from people who have been positively impacted by Archer, which is so lovely. Um, and they really keep you going in the hard times when you've got your money and you're a bit burnt out. Um, but one of them in particular was from this person who wrote to us to tell us that their parents had found their copy of Archer magazine and read it, and their parents had previously been uh, pretty disapproving of this person's queer identity. And once they read Archer, they were they contacted this person and said, "We get it now. Sounds like a great community. We're happy for you. You know, we were worried about you, and now we're not." Which is pretty cool. So that was probably my favourite and maybe the least expected bit of feedback that we got. Um, mm-hmm. Just that it encapsulates the pride of queer experiences. Um, and this person was like. You've changed my life because my family relationships have all been improved as a result. How cool is that? That's so wonderful. You're literally kind of like shifting the world's axis by okay. by help by helping. I, I think so. Those are the you know <laughs> we we sometimes talk about you know talking to our community you know in our bubbles and we're quite often talking about the same things to each other mm-hmm. and and not kind of expanding that out. That's actually shifting the opinions and minds of the people that matter. You know the families of queer people. Yeah, totally. That's so true. Um, and I think another thing that's been surprising that um, I guess I didn't expect from starting this thing was the events. We put on these launch events every issue and um, everyone that turns up is just so happy to be there. And it's such a reminder of the lack of inclusive queer spaces. I mean, obviously more and more there are spaces popping up, but it's so expensive to run bars, um, especially in Victoria. And it's not sustainable often to put on regular events, although there are a few that really nail it, obviously. Um, but the people that come together, our readers are so diverse and some of them are writers and some of them are readers and some of them are people who are there because of their identities and some of them are people who are there because they have intersectional identities that aren't welcome everywhere else. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, we publish two new stories a week online. And so we're a really good platform for people's first experience of being published um, on our website, which is a bit more experimental. Loads of first-time writers. And I think there's so much power in telling your story. So I think the platform in that way is really important too. That's, you know, such an admirable thing to do because it is so hard to get published and it's becoming harder and harder to get published. There's lots of journals and... um, media outlets who really either don't have the money to take a chance on people who are unpublished mm. or, or or their focus has become so narrow that it's really hard to get in. But what I wanted to say about your launch events is I have been to them and that they are such welcoming events and they are so incredibly mixed 
in terms of who's there, which you sort of don't mm. see a lot of these days. A lot of events tend to be um, pretty monocultural sometimes in a, in a way. Mm. It's really great to see that. And it sort of leads to my next question, which has been how there has been this real resurgence in spoken word events like Queer Stories, Better Up mm. Said, Women of Letters. What do you think is behind the popularity of events like this? Um, yeah, good question. I um, let me think. I reckon hearing other people's stories, uh, it kind of reaches a handout to our most isolated individuals because I don't know. As a kid growing up in the nineties, there wasn't a lot of representation, as I've said, and it was a very isolating experience. And I think it has a lot to do with the shame that I felt around my own sexual identity. And events like that where you hear people kind of bear their soul and it, especially when it's live, it's very authentic and vulnerable, it kind of gives you the space to be vulnerable about your own experiences and there's some sense of connection through that. Um, and I think with events like Queer Stories, you never know who's going to get up and talk and they might have, I mean, nine times out of ten, some part of their story will resonate with your own experience. So, yeah, I reckon it's about seeking like seeking out stories that are similar to our own to help us understand our own experience and often writers I shouldn't speak for all of them but certainly for me I'm not I don't contrary to popular belief I don't enjoy the spotlight that much and writing can be quite a solo experience you sort of put something out in the world and then you hide in your living room till it goes away (laughs) and try not to read the comments whereas this like the live reading is so different it's like such a um, such a brave thing to do and it can be really terrifying but it can also be really healing for I guess the person reading and the people listening it's very authentic um, Amy if we could just sort of talk a little bit about uh, the event now I've I've noticed especially queer audiences get a lot out of spoken word events as, as, you, as we've been talking about they can be really vulnerable intimate spaces what are you most excited about uh, for our upcoming event, Wise Work? Well, I, I actually haven't done a speaking event in a long time, it feels like. I used to do a whole bunch of festival appearances and stuff pre-pandemic. Um, I had a kid coming up five years ago and then COVID happened. And it's also hard to focus on writing when I'm kind of deep in Archer land. So I'm really looking forward to getting up and reading something um it's been such a long time and it's a space I generally feel pretty comfortable in um and like we've talked about I I just think there's so much power in watching people share their stories so intimately so I'm looking forward to seeing what the other writers have to say and also the theme this year is through the looking glass and I did notice that you have this fascination with Alice in Wonderland can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, I'm a bit of a collector and I started collecting copies of Alice in Wonderland when I was about maybe 18. I think I was in year 12. Um, I just bought this really beautiful copy of it at a market once and I read it for the first time and I loved it. And so I just kept finding these eclectic, beautiful copies of it. Um, and I've been buying them all around the world and I have about 70 and they're really pretty. So they oh, add wow. to my decor as well. 
Um, and I have this giant pop-up book of Alice in Wonderland. It's so cool. There's, yeah, there's a few cool ones. So yeah, I love I love that story, and I love the way it's written. Mm, it's uh, in terms of like the the way that the story's told and the language that's used and the kind of like bonkers nature of the, the world <laughs> that that is is Wonderland is kind of this. Um, it kind of harkens back to what Rachel and I were talking about last week with how kids view the world in terms of this like kind of like unbridled like joy and just no restriction and just kind of anything can happen. I really yeah, I I really connect with that as well. Yeah, and he also plays with form a bit, which I think was one of the reasons I was so excited by it. There's this bit in the book where he's like, I don't know, Alice came upon a griffin, and then in brackets he's like, if you don't know what a griffin is, look at the picture. It's so cute, yeah, it's, and it's like he's sort of in the room with you. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the the meta version of storytelling. Yeah, it is. It feels like he's talking right to you, which is pretty genius. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. And um, you're a you're a bit of a footy fan. Tell us about your love of AFL as well. Yeah, I love AFL mostly in a playing sense. Um, the men's game obviously is deeply problematic, and I have trouble engaging with that whole shenanigan. But um, the AFLW has been amazing to watch. Um, and I've played footy for a number of years and it's such an inclusive space when it's not AFLM. <laughs> and um, isn't it interesting how progressive one side of it is and how archaic the yeah, other side is? It's, yeah, it's, I think there's a lot of learning to be done from this newest iteration of, of how we play the game of footy and how we engage with it that uh, I think the, the quote-unquote OG footy can probably learn a few things. I know it's just wild that they haven't at all. Mm. <laughs> it's for, I was actually doing a, um, a a project with the Western Bulldogs a few years ago now, and I was chatting with the marketing person there, and he said that it's been amazing the impact of the uh, AFL men having to share the space with the mm. AFL women and some of the uh, things that they picked up. He said, you know, like the the, the men come in and they've been sort of treated like gods since they were kids and especially teenagers and they come in mm. expecting the world and the women come in just so grateful that they're even allowed to go mm. out in the field and kick a football and he said you can sort of see the men thinking you know sort of sort of you know um questioning their entitlement which which is a nice first step but still <laughs> a long way to go yeah, and then, I mean, I play at a community level, obviously, um, <laughs> but um, the sense of uh, community and, um, I guess, support and solidarity that comes with being part of a team like that, and especially an inclusive team. Um, I played for Darabing Falcons the last couple of years, and they're one of the most inclusive teams in Melbourne, and it was so startling how much it can positively impact your mental health, being part of something like that um, with a bunch of people whose politics mostly align with yours, it can be really powerful and it's just kind of counterintuitive that it's a sporting space, isn't it? Mm. This is sort of an interesting um, point you're making because, you know, we were speaking with Sarah Ward about uh, their their Midsummer show, The Rainbow Tree, last week Mm. and talking about the impact of creative arts and how they can how your mental health can benefit through the pursuit of through the pursuit of um the creative world and Mm. you're sort of doing both i mean like you know i know you're saying it's been a while since you've had the time 
to sit down and write. But what sort of parallel or differences do you see, I guess, from the benefits of playing on your mental health and playing a community sport and or compared to creating artwork? Yeah, look, I, my mental health needs all the help it can get, let's be honest. So I've <laughs> found lots of um, strategies to help me get through Western capitalist patriarchy. Um, and yeah, I, I, I said I find it hard to sit down and write, but I journal constantly, like compulsively. So I, I sit down and write for hours a week, but it's just sort of for me. Um, and there's that mental outlet and creative outlet and processing that comes with that. But when I played footy, it was um, very bodily and physical. Um, and then also the interpersonal connection, which I really thrive on. Um, yeah, it was it was something to that was less isolated and solo and a bit more um, uh, about connection with people and picking up for one another while also getting some cardio in which is very important for my mental health, personally. Absolutely. And I was just sort of also wondering, in terms of playing community sport, because, because I'm really fascinated with this, and we did a campaign not so long ago involving um, a number of um, LGBTIQ community teams, is in terms of like how inclusive they are, what sort of age range are you talking about when you're playing um, the Darabin Falcons? Well, I played for Div 2, which is, I was pretty much the oldest person on the team. <laughs> so you can select to play with um, the the youngins alongside you, or there's a masters program. So if you're, you know, mid thirties like me, you can sort of choose either one. And I get the sense that the masters one is a bit less pressure. It's a bit more chill. There's probably a bit more of a social aspect. Although I mean, in Div Two, there was a big social aspect too. Um, you can sort of choose, and the youth teams are just. Increasingly, increasingly really inclusive as well. It's yeah, it's pretty cool, especially especially for queer women and non-binary folk. I reckon it's a good space to go and find your people and move your body and all those other good things. Yeah, we, we've had this resurgence of really focusing on providing spaces for, particularly for queer folk, to to engage in sport we've got a number of queer sporting teams and we've got great orgs like proud to play and that are really kind of like cementing that wouldn't it be great if if we'd all just had this as kids these kind of affirming spaces for us to enjoy physical activity and sport and things that uh, like you were referring to amy before that ordinarily have this kind of hostile masculinity kind of imbued into it wouldn't it be great if we just had this accessible to us all Oh, my God, there's so many things that would have been fucking great if we'd had access to them <laughs> back then. But, yeah, it's funny you say, like, there was a hostile femininity as well in netball. Like, I was mm. forced to play netball because that was the only sport available to girls. And um, it didn't suit me at all, and it was terrifying. So, but, you know. Did I'm you ever sure play mixed netball? I always found mixed netball really kind of the, the – that did. and badminton were my two kind of, like, affirming spaces that I could engage in. That's so you. I can just see you. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, did. I, I played. I, I played mixed netball at Clifton Hill for a time. It was really fun. Hmm. Oh, uh, I've, I've I've walked past that that crew a number of times. I can totally attest to the hostile femininity in netball. It was a could be a, a deceivingly dangerous sport. It can be yeah, definitely for real. Mm. Yeah, now, I, I saw a GP once who told me that netball and footy are the two most dangerous sports you can play, and I was like, oh, shit, what am I doing? 
You know what the most dangerous sport you can play in the United States is? What is it? Cheerleading. Wow, yeah, cheerleaders go hard. Yeah, they go hard. It's not um, it's not regulated to the same degree. They don't wear protective equipment, and there's generally no uh, no coach, no like driving teacher. They just kind of like the teams just all get together and just kind of learn from each other and have a captain. It's generally yeah, it's really dangerous. And yeah, throw each other in the air. Yeah, very dangerous. Um, But we aren't here to talk about cheerleading, of of course. (laughs) As much as I would like to, for hours. I expect the cheerleaders. Yeah, yeah, which is totally fine. Which is totally fine because you know. I'm a sport lover as well. Yeah. Um, and you do sort of find this next to like you, it's not, you know, when people mm. talk about, you know, uh, people being either or arts or sport, you know, you can actually be both and it's yep. great to be both if, if you're into it. But I guess, yeah, getting back to the writing side of things, Amy, what, what's happening with Archer at the moment? What are the plans for the future? Thanks for asking. Um, we are currently working on our next print edition, which is themed around incarceration. So it is our most harrowing and most important issue we've ever done. Um, it's a real heavy read, but it's come together so amazingly well. So we brought on um, a guest editor named Tabitha Lean. Um, and Tabitha has lived experience and is just like a powerhouse when it comes to writing about um, the criminal justice system and prison system. Um, there's some really really incredible voices in this issue. I can't wait for it to be out in the world. Um, and so we're going to launch that in late ma- March, sorry, late March, last week of March it's looking like. Um, so my team has been real busy with that. And then as I mentioned, we are turning 10. So we're going to have a bit of a party in December as well. Um, so those are the two things we're looking ahead to. Oh, and we're doing a really fun event at Sydney World Pride which is coming up super soon, which is a Queer Ideas Forum where we've gotten some experts to speak on the three topics that people search for the most on the Archer website, which are gender and drag, polyamory and sex work. So tickets are still available. They're running out, actually. I should do a ticket check, but um, that'll be on Feb 22nd in Sydney. That sounds fabulous. What a great event. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We've we got some funding from World Pride to do it too. So shout out to them for letting us put it on. And also, um, in the last twelve months, we were acquired by Drummond Street Services, which is a Melbourne-based service provider that helps a lot of people on the margins of society. And they have been so amazing. And they kindly pay our bills for us when we can't afford them and just let us keep doing what we do. So we're all actually getting paid for our work at the moment, which is allowing us to do all this amazing stuff. So, yeah, big shout out to Drum Street Services for all the support because I don't think we would have made it through the pandemic without them. That's brilliant. And, of course, you were also appearing at the event Wise Words, a night of intergenerational storytelling on February 9th. We'll be talking about that in a bit more detail a little bit later. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Amy. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for having me and giving me a little platform. No worries. You're listening to Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and wellbeing, presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org.
This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.